types of things tend to get you down the most? How does fear sometimes create depression? What types of fears have a grip on your life? Let's talk about it today as we wrap up our series, Elijah. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And as always, so thankful that you are joining us. And we believe that you are where you need to be as you are listening to this episode today. And during this episode, we are praying that God will give you a reason and purpose of why he has you listening to this episode. Hey, uh, we want to wish you and welcome you back to uh, Venture Podcast. And uh, we want to say... Uh, happy Labor Day, you know, uh, we're a little late on it, but, uh, I hope you had a good weekend, a Labor Day weekend as you, uh, celebrated not working, I think is what it is. I'm not sure, you know, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we are wrapping up this very important series on the life of a guy that's described as a man of God. Uh, his name is Elijah. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, I'd love for you to, if you just open them up to first Kings 19, uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little cheesy joke this morning as you maybe are turning to your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, one time a professor had a class full of freshmen from all over the world, and he asked them, hey, what is the opposite of joy? And one gal from China raised her hand, and she said, the opposite of joy is sadness. And the professor said, right, you're absolutely right. And then he said, what is the opposite of depression? And the guy from France raised his hand and said, the opposite of depression, isn't it elation? And the professor says, yeah, you're absolutely right. Good job. And then he asked the question, what is the opposite of woe? And the guy from America said, well, I suppose the opposite of woe would be giddy up. I know. Horrible dad joke. I know. But I had to tell it, right? <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about depression, okay, uh, in the life of a man of God who just had one of the greatest victories over uh, on Mount Carmel, and after he saw God work in a supernatural way, he came down to a very low point in his life. And so we're going to pick up the story in Elijah, okay? Uh, it's First Kings 19, starting with verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Let's pause there. And I want to backtrack so you'll remember who we're talking about, right? If you remember, Ahab was the evil king, and he was the 19th consecutive evil king. And scripture tells us he had done more evil in the eyes of God than any of those before him. Now, Ahab, towards the end of his reign, basically handed the leadership over to his evil wife, Jezebel. And she steps in and, and takes over. And we're going to see what she does. Okay, let's read on verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you and you are going to be a dead man of God by tomorrow. Okay, let's read on. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran after 
his life, ran for his life, right? Now, let's pause there for a second, because when we read this, this is very confusing. If you think back to all that, that, that God has done in Elijah's life, if, if you missed the past uh, few episodes, uh, let me just review the story. And when you hear what God has done, and when you see Elijah's response, it'll cause you to pause and go, what? Right? Okay. Week number one, we studied that, that the king had turned the hearts of the people away from God to the false prophets, right? So God raised up out of nowhere this prophet Elijah who comes and stands down the king and says, I'm not going to, it's not, or I'm not going to let it rain until I ask God to cause it to rain. And he pronounces this huge drought. And, and sure enough, it doesn't rain at all, right? It's a huge famine. Well, then God takes him to the place of cutting, the Kareth Ravine, where he's chopped down. He's humbled in a season of hiding when God miraculously provides for the prophet while the king's trying to kill him, God sends ravens that drop meat and bread, and then he's fed by a brook during the middle of a, of a drought, right? There's no rain, there's a famine, and here comes this brook, and, and God nourishes him, and he learns to depend on God. And then one day, Scripture says that the brook dried up, and God led him out of the Kareth Ravine to a place called Zarephath, where he met a widow who just had a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, and it wasn't enough. She thought she was going to die, and God miraculously uh, multiplied that so that it was enough, and God showed up again. Then one day, the widow's son died, and for the first time ever, recorded in Scripture, Elijah takes his dead boy up into the upper room, prays, and God raises the boy from the dead. Elijah's looking on at this point going, God is faithful, God is good, and God is powerful, right? Well, then after a season of hiding where there's, a, there's been no rain, right, God calls Elijah back to confront the king, and he draws down, uh, draws a showdown, right? He says, God, uh, okay, guys, get your 450 false prophets of Baal, and then 400 prophets of Asherah, bring them up to Mount Carmel, and we're going to see who's the real God. Is it your gods, the sun gods, or is it the one true God? And so they build a couple of altars, put some bowls on it, and say, hey, fire, come down. May your God send fire. And all the false prophets do their dance and cut themselves. And it goes on all day long, and nothing happens. And then Elijah uh, would do what we would probably do. He says, maybe your God is going to the bathroom, right? He had literally said that. By the way, if you missed that episode, you need to go back, okay? Uh, that's what he tells him. Maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a nap. I don't know where he is. And then he calls on his God. God, and God sends fire from heaven, it burns everything up, right? And then he goes to the mountain, and he prays, God send rain, God send rain, God send rain. Seven times he prays, and off in the distance, he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand, and by faith, he believes that the storm is coming, and sure enough, it is. Miraculous provision, miraculous protection, a miraculous God. Over and over and over again for years, he'd seen the faithfulness of God, and then one day, a woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he freaks, and he panics, and he runs for his life. Today, I want to talk to you about how to get depressed in four easy steps. Yes, you heard that correctly, how to get depressed in four easy steps, and we're going to find these actually in Scripture as we read on, okay? Look at what Scripture says, starting, uh, finishing up verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, remember he's running for his life. He comes to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the brush or the bush and, and fell asleep, right? Well, how do you get depressed in four easy steps from that? Do what Elijah did. Okay. If you are taking any kind of notes during this episode, uh, uh, number one would be uh, wear yourself out. 
That's the first step, okay? Wear yourself out. If you will notice over the past few years, uh, he had been been on this massive spiritual battle, Elijah was, right? Trusting God, praying, trusting God, praying, seeking God, praying, right? Trusting God, battle, faith, battle, faith, battle, and then he runs for his life. And geographically, he couldn't have run any further than he did, right? That where he went to Beersheba, right? This place that he ran to was the very southern tip. And then he leaves that his buddy, his servant, right? And runs another day's journey out into the desert. He went as far as he could. And he was totally and physically exhausted, much like many of you. And you wonder, why am I depressed? Well, you've worn yourself out. Some of you moms, maybe you're working a full-time job, taking care of the house, putting dinner on the table, carting kids all over the world, right? Involved in PTA, involved in the church. And you're wondering why. Some of you, it's not just a physical exertion, but it's all up in your head, right? I've got to be there for them. I've got to make sure that they're covered. I've got to be strong for everybody. And I've got to be the provider, right? I've got to help nurture them. And it's all this stuff going on in your head. You're totally exhausted. You've worn yourself out, all right? Step number one is to wear yourself out. Step number two is to shut people out. And that's exactly what Elijah did, right? He, he abandoned his closest friend, his, his servant. He said, you stay here and I'm going on. And quite honestly, that's what a lot of us do when we get overwhelmed. We, we think, I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going through. If I did, you wouldn't understand anyway. So we wall up, right? And we start to push people away. It's amazing, even as a pastor, asking con- uh, my congregants, you know, hey, uh, my members of the church, hey, you know, I could tell something's wrong. What's going on? They wall up, you know, they don't want to share with anybody, you know, you want to get depressed? Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Number three, focus on the negative, okay? Which is exactly what our hero, the man of God and great faith did. What did he say? He said this. He said, I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. What's funny is nobody was asking if he was. But in his mind, the self-pity started to take over. And what does self-pity do? It exaggerates, right? Self-pity exaggerates. You know, like, I'm never going to be any good. I'm always going to be stuck in this life. My life's never going to get any better. I'm never going to get into that school after this grade. I'm never going to get the promotion. My kids are never going to come to Christ. After all that ice cream I just ate, my bottom's never going to fit in these jeans again, right? (laughs) Right? Right? It's just exaggeration. It's focusing on the negative. It's all the bad things and none of the good things, right? You want to get depressed? Here it is in scripture. You just wear yourself out like many of you have. You shut others out. You don't let them in. You focus on the negative, okay? And the fourth thing that you need to do if you want to get depressed, okay, is you need to forget God, which is exactly what so many of us do. All that we saw God do in the life of Elijah, right? Supernatural protection and provision, birds feeding him, water from the brook during the drought, raising the dead, fire from heaven. And here he is, oh God, you're not, coming to, you're not going to come through for me, right? Which is what we often do, isn't it? I mean, I can look back at the faithfulness of God in my life. He was there. He provided. He comforted. He was a strength. He was everything I needed. But in this moment when I'm depressed, when I'm down, I forget the faithfulness of God, right? I'm sure you do. How to get depressed in four easy steps. Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Focus on the negative and forget God. Now, let's talk about the answer, right? Because quite frankly, many of you are are, are, are listening to this episode today, and, and because this is the word you need to hear from God, right? 
God is speaking directly to you because maybe you're just a little blue. Maybe you're in a full-blown depression. Maybe you're in a place of hopelessness. And the good news is God wants to speak to you. So let's continue looking at scripture. And what we're going to find is what I call God's prescription for our depression. Okay? God's going to teach us how to, to, to uh, get rid of depression. Okay? In other words, he's given us our prescription, right? Elijah, he didn't have any hope. He's hiding out, wanting to die. And I want you to notice, God sends an angel to represent God. Okay? And I want you to notice what God does not do through this angel. Okay? There's no sermon. There's no rebuke. There, there's no shame. Right? The angel's not saying, oh, if you only had more faith. If only you memorize more Bible verses, right? If you just quoted the Bible verses and quit acting like a baby, right? <laughs> Nothing negative, right? The very first thing that the angel of the Lord says, okay? He said, eat and rest. The very first part of the prescription for our depression, God says to eat and rest. Let's read it. Let's look at it, okay? Continuing on in verse five. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Eat and rest. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is not to go to another meeting, not read another Bible verse. But the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. In fact, perhaps one of the most disobeyed commands of God is people don't rest. Right? It says, honor God with the Sabbath, and yet we just shake it off like it's nothing. Perhaps the most spiritual thing some of you can do is rest. And I know what you're thinking, because I think the same thing. But God, I've got to do this, and, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this, right? And I believe God would say to you, it doesn't matter if the clothes are dirty. It doesn't matter if the house is not clean. It does not matter if the yard's not mowed. It doesn't matter if a few things go undone. But perhaps the most important thing, the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. The angel of the Lord provides food and lets him take a nap, right? Let's read on. Look at verses 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Right? God's prescription for depression. The first thing he does, he says, Go eat and rest. The second thing is God replaces our lies with this truth. This is going to speak to some of you. God replaces our lies, the lies that we are believing, with his truth. Look at verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now let's just pause there for a second, because let's just acknowledge that God already knew what Elijah was doing there, right? God's not going out there, hmm, I'm wondering where Elijah is, right? Hmm, where did he go? I know, Marco, you know, waiting for Polo. <laughs> Let me see if I can find him. Let me do some investigative work, right? No, God already knew, knew where he went, right? God, what God wanted Elijah to do was to voice his problem, to verbalize whatever lies he was believing so God co could correct the lies, right? What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's read Elijah's response. Look at verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. You see, Elijah is here trying to take more responsibility than was actually his. He had done what God asked him to do, right? He thought he was supposed to do everything. 
There's no one who cares like me. Everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. Right? How many of you have been there before, right? Well, if you read on the story, God's actually going to say, well, Elijah, truthfully, there's 7,000 other Israelites, 7,000 others who have not bowed down to the false gods of Baal and Asherah. There are 7,000 others still seeking me and praying. Don't believe the lies. You are not the only one. Now, I can only imagine what God would say to so many of us today when we believe the lies, right? Like, oh, my marriage could never be healed. Why? Why can't? Why? With God, all things are possible, right? You don't replace the lie with the truth. Well, my kids, they're never going to come back to Christ. Why would you believe that? With the faith as small as a mustard seed, God can move mountains, right? So many of us, we believe the lies. Like, my life's never going to be any better. I'm never going to have an intimate relationship. I'm going to be all alone for the rest of my life. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I've got no real ministry. I can't make a difference. My husband's never going to believe in Christ. I'm always going to feel alone. God takes those lies, right? And he replaces with truth. Take every thought captive, scripture says, right? And make it obedient to Christ. Every thought, not just certain ones, every thought. My question is, where are you right now? Just as God asked Elijah, where are you right now? Where are you? Some of you, if you would speak verbally, you might just speak a lie. Well, I'm always going to be depressed. It's always, it's always, it's always going to be this, right? Well, maybe God might take that and say, that's actually not the whole truth. There's 7,000, right? Right? There are other people who care about you, right? There are other believers who are around you. There's a Holy Spirit who will comfort you. Don't believe the lies. God's prescription for our depression, eat and rest. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is take some time off. Replace the lies that you are believing with the truth of God. And the third thing that God does is God speaks in a still, small voice. Now, you have to remember who Elijah is used to dealing with. The God of fire, the God of miraculous provision, right? And so he goes to meet with God and he's probably thinking God's going to show up in this big massive earthquake, right? God's going to send this fire and be in the fire. But, but watch what the Bible says. Look at verse, uh, starting with verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Sometimes, when we are at our lowest, God seems to speak the softest. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's just a word. It may not be much, and it may not be loud, but it's always exactly enough. A gentle whisper. Not the booming sign that God is capable of doing and done before, but just the voice. And, and here's what I take so much comfort in, is that I know there are those of you that are, are listening today, and, and you're hurting. And I don't find any confidence in you taking anything from my words. But I know that through my words, between my words, and behind my words, the words of God, God can and will speak to you. If you listen closely enough, you may just hear that still small voice. I'm here. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. You're not alone. I am enough. 
the still, small voice of God. The fourth thing that God does to Elijah is God gives us something to do to overcome depression. God says, eat and rest, replace the lies with truth. God speaks in small voice, right? And then God gives us the divine assignment. Let's look at uh, 1 Kings uh, 19, 15 through 16. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Ebel Meola, to succeed you as prophet. In other words, go back to doing what prophets do. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord will speak to many of you today and say, there is something yet for you to do. You know, you may feel down, you may feel blue, you feel hopeless, you feel afraid, you're unsure, you've lost your confidence, and you don't see it. And God may say, if you are still alive, you are not done. If you are still here, it is because God has something to do. Go back to doing what prophets do. And you may say, well, but Dan, I'm not a prophet. Well, what are you? Well, you might be a mom. Go back to doing what moms do. Are you a business person? Go back to doing what business people do. Are you a person of prayer? Go back to praying like people of God pray, right? Do you have the gift of serving? Go back and serve someone. Do you have the gift of giving? Go and give something. Go back and do what God called you to do and watch as he brings the life back out of you. Go back, O man of God, and do what prophets do. Check this out. God gave him this gift. God gave him someone who believed in him, one friend a younger man named Elisha. You have Elijah, the man of God, and Elisha comes along and they start doing what prophets do together. And the younger one says, if there's anything I could have, I want twice what you have. Give me a double portion of your anointing. And what does Elijah say? Elijah says, well, I'll tell you what. If you are here when, with me whenever I leave this earth, then you can have it. And that is the way it's going to be. Now think about this for a second. What did Elijah fear most? If you go back to the beginning of the story, what was he afraid of? Remember Jezebel? You know, she says, I'm going to kill you and make you a dead prophet by tomorrow. And he responds, oh no, run for my life, right? Run for your life. His greatest fear of all was what? Death. Something that he had never experienced. In fact, here's the awesome, most awesome thing. Elijah is one of only two people in all of scripture recorded as never, ever dying. If you read the story, God sent a chariot of fire from the sky and swept him up, took him on to glory, and he never experienced his greatest fear. And the reality is, for many of you, the number one thing that is consuming you right now, your greatest fear, your biggest what if, you will never experience that because God will lift you above it. Others of you, I don't want to have you just kind of have some kind of message that just says, hey, everything's going to be okay because the reality is, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said in himself, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Even in, if your greatest what if does come to pass, he will be with you and he will be enough. I find so much comfort in seeing a man of God, Elijah, right? Elijah himself, the man of God on the top of the world and then on the bottom. Because in reality, that's the reflection of the way I live. And it's probably the way you live as well. After my greatest victories, right? I can give the greatest sermon, the greatest church weekend, right? Have that. Sometimes I go home as a pastor and I think, I just can't go on. And that's when God says, rest. That's when God seems to speak, right? And that's when God says, go back and do what you're supposed to do. Because he is always, always, always enough. Amen. 
This concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this series of Elijah. I hope you'll join us next week as we start a new series called Hooked. We're going to look at how we become fishers of men. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast and Chandler Acres Ministries, or you'd like to become a patron, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.